2: Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you, and I'm being joined once again by the amazing Jesse. How are you, my dear?
3: I am doing awesome. How are you?
2: Good. Very, very good. It is October 6th, and we have a great show for you this week. All right, a couple notes before we dive in. Actually, you know what? Let me give you the rundown for the show. Doing a little something different this time. Of course, as usual... The I Dream of Jesse segment, episode 6, Performance Reviews. And in the Infernal Informant, we got Weekend in Washington yields little on shutdown, and Man Who Set Himself on Fire on Mall Dies. (laughs) It still happens. It's not just in Vietnam. And a new one for y'all, Old Nick Peep Show. And I'll explain that now. So, as I've mentioned in the past... And Jesse, I don't know if you ever listen to this show, but if you do, you may have heard me mention that I am welcoming other voices, other satanic perspectives into Nine Cents. You are proof of that. I've also reached out to a number of media outlets. Old Nick Magazine is one such outlet. And I've spoken about them in the past. Are you familiar? I am. Okay. That's good.
3: (laughs) I, I actually bought the summer issue. Oh, is, did you really? Which is weird because I'm I'm not into girls at all. But I figured, yeah, well, what the hell? Six bucks, I'll check it out.
2: Yeah, there's a couple uh, decent little articles too. So would I? <laughs> I got to be honest. <laughs> and here's the thing about men's magazines. I guess in general, um, I with Old Link magazine, I don't I don't dig all the different types of girls that are t- displayed in it. Like I, it's just not my cup of tea all the time. But Every once in a while, there's one or there's a couple in an issue that really sort of, you know, resonate with my tastes, which is fantastic. But more often than not, I find myself, uh, and this is going to sound horrible, running across the pages with the girls in them, sort of just thumbing through it quickly so I can get to the other content, (laughs) which is kind of funny. But, you know, it is one of those things where when I was a young man, I, I actually did subscribe to Playboy and... I did actually read the articles, and and I like the idea of GQ because I really liked the articles, because it comes down to this idea that uh, you're not born a gentleman by any means. You're not born an individual of taste. That's something that's cultivated, that's something that's learned. And so I would not call Playboy or GQ or Old Nick Magazine the paragon of taste, or an instruction manual on how to be a gentleman, but I would say They don't hurt a bit. So, one can find little nuggets of value in any of those. Holding Magazine's, I think, one of them. So, I find little nuggets of value in them. Um, Whether it's a conversation about cigars that I never even thought about, which actually led me into appreciating cigars. It's amazing. Little things like that. Well, Old Nick Peep Show is from the horse's mouth, as it were. Of course... Saying that in relation to any woman is never a good thing. So we'll just say <laughs> we're going to let old Nick speak for himself. <laughs> and that's the point of the, se- the, the session here. We're going to let old Nick explain what is coming up. What is happening in old Nick world. And it's going to be a fantastic departure from, I'm sure, the monotonous-ness of my voice. And uh, it'll give you guys something fresh and new to hear. Uh, at least I hope so. Anyway, that's at the tail end of the show. Uh before we dive in, how was your weekend?
3: It was uh powerful except when the power was out and then it was dark. <laughs> <laughs> it dark and trip. mysterious, wondering when the power would come back on. And
2: <laughs> how long did you have?
3: Uh what was it was almost a full day Friday and then just Whoa. like for an hour on Saturday and then again today.
2: Almost a full day with repeated outages. What yeah. uh what was the cause?
3: Um if it rains and the wind blows at the same time, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, normal
3: we're, <laughs> we're apparently right at the very end of a line, so you know, half yeah. the town could have power, but you know, something happens with the last couple of houses, they could take you know forever to get to it. So,
2: so what? What's your uh, what's your favorite pastime when the power's out?
3: There was enough light for reading. So, you know, got through some stuff that I've been meaning to get to.
2: Mind if I ask what you're reading?
3: Uh, What did I I was breezing through the United States of Paranoia. I started reading and um, the Great Deformation, which is all about uh, the uh, banking crisis and the stock market and screwing up capitalism. And wow. uh, a couple back issues of is the cloven hoof. Oh, nice. Yes, yeah, so I got a lot of stuff, actually.
2: Well, I usually just read the funnies. <laughs> That's <laughs> – makes me feel like a Luddite. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, usually – I mean, I, I kind of like it when the power goes out. Um, I like that idea of um, you're sort of forced into this uh, Intimacy. You know, I mean, you especially if it's at night when it goes out, but it's not time to crash yet. Yeah. You're forced into this sort of intimacy as a family that you don't normally get to experience because technology, technology sort of kicks us out of that mode. And it's it's nice because you get to light candles and you get to sit around together and you actually, for us, you get to talk. And that's not a common, sadly, it's not that common of an occurrence. And you don't realize how rare it is until you're forced into one of those situations. And I am like you, well, not as bad as you make it sound, um, where our power goes out regularly, but it's not for very long periods of time. It's usually like, you know, an hour and a half or two hours or something like that. Rarely in the winter storm is it yeah. more than that. Um, but it's always nice. You know, you get to light candles and you sort of get that play of shadows and it encourages. The telling of stories and I just feel like I'm sort of transported back to this earlier time in human history where that was the norm and it was this this wonderful thing. And then suddenly when um, the power comes back on, you're, you're almost a little upset. You're almost like, I don't want to go back yet. You know, it, for us, it's kind of like that at least.
3: Yeah, I mean to have it out for more than an hour is unusual. I'm, you know, when I say oh if it rains and the wind blows, I'm I'm exaggerating. This was just yeah. not weekend, but uh no, actually it was a, it was about this time last year that the East Coast got just bombarded with snow. And actually the year before the same thing happened, but at that point we were out of power for 3 days and a lot of places near us were out of power for a week. Whoa. And that was that was really you know a, a change of lifestyle. It's like okay, I, this is getting old. I really want to take a bath in something other than the water I pulled out of the stream this morning. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Literally, because we have a stream that runs through our yard, and that was that was what we were using. That's crazy cool. <laughs> I
2: bet it was cold as shit too. <laughs> uh,
3: well, we have, uh, we, you know, we have a, a propane tank, and so we were able to heat the water on the stove so it was dirty water but it was at least warm water, warm yeah. dirty water but oh god yeah that 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 wasn't fun Wow, it's fun when it happens for an hour or two it's not fun when it happens for a day or two
2: yeah I, I imagine right after the third hour is when it starts turning
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's, it's like alright well now it's bitterly cold and I don't want to be around you anymore and <laughs> I feel kind of gross stop with the stories please yeah <laughs> That is, that's awesome. Um, Well, hey, how about uh, we talk about a little bit of other stuff? Um, I'm excited about this. Sorry to stomp on the storming. The Greater Magic episode is edited and ready for release. And I'm very excited about this. I thought it was a fantastic conversation I had. And you, uh, Jesse, and you listeners helped make it so. So thank you again very much for that. And uh, because of that, we're going to have to adjust the formatting of the show a little bit. So you guys have been used to, on the first week of the month, getting I Dream of Jesse, the second week, down to the crossroads, the third, um, um, Agent Provocateur, and the fourth, Militant Eroticism. Well, now we're going to have to bump Militant Eroticism up a week, and that is when I'm going to be airing the Greater Magic episode, obviously, to coincide with uh, Halloween, week as in the past so I'm going to be releasing and this is actually something I'm just remembering now that I was going to do earlier today but I totally forgot about uh, I was going to be (laughs) releasing the previous Greater Magic episodes as YouTube clips which I haven't done in the past but it seems to be a growing portion of the audience is latching onto the YouTube side of things because there's fewer problems with the downloading streams Um, uh, so you know for whatever reason I've got a growing viewership on YouTube and I want to accommodate you certainly with past episodes that I deem of value. And it's a fantastic way to share uh, this episode or these episodes with other people as well. Uh, So look for that in the coming, I guess, days, but it's probably going to be the coming weeks in reality. Uh, But know that this is going to be a fantastic episode and I hope you're as excited as I was um, when I first heard it back. And I am Jessie. so looking
3: forward to this. I really <laughs> it am.
2: Is, it is pretty cool. Not everyone's into this type of discussion either. I mean, I do get a ridiculous amount of greater magic questions. And no matter how many times I say the same things in the same ways, as they've been written for coming on 50 years, it's still something that completely confuses people. And it's nice to, I don't know, try to shed some light on the realities of it or the perspectives of it, Because not everyone agrees with this one fundamental idea that seems, in my opinion, so core to Satanism. Um, but I've also been getting a lot of feedback from the listeners, and I have to thank you all for that. The uh, one very interesting one was a letter um, written to me, but it was really about your segment, Jesse, I Dream of Jesse. And it was a request to have your, um, uh, I'm sorry, your segments sort of transcribed for people who may not be able to hear these episodes in the format that they're presented. And you had, I remember in the first episode, discussed this idea of yours to start a blog and that this segment was a way of, I don't know, maybe scratching that itch, if I can say that. Uh, But you've also just started a blog, right?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I had been thinking about starting a blog and then this came up and that was kind of like, oh, instead of doing the blog, I'll just do this. And then you got that one email, you know, asking if it was if, if transcripts would be available. And that seemed like a good idea. But first, I got to say, I'm honored that mm-hmm. anyone would want to read Transcripts of these episodes. I mean, half the time I'm saying these things, I'm like, you know, is this, is this stupid? Does everybody in the world <laughs> already know this? So that I, I'm really, I'm flattered, I'm honored and, and happy to do it. Um, and then I, as I started, you know, recreating the idea of the blog to put the transcripts up, I'm started thinking, okay, well, I don't know what else I might want to put up there. So I've started a blog. I, it will at minimum have the transcripts for the, the uh, "I Dream of Jesse" episodes. It will have other stuff. I'm not sure what a kind of other stuff yet. That's just gonna kind of evolve. And where can uh, people
1: find
2: it?
3: Uh, yeah. Um.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> what did I call it again?
2: <laughs> uh, well, if I can say, yeah,
3: please, please jump in.
2: <laughs> Drafts from a satanic windbag. Is where you're gonna find it. So you can either search for that on Google or you can go directly to drafts from a satanic windbag dot and you'll find Jesse's blog there. But I have to say, you do have other content than just the episodes, and it's good. I read it and I'm a little bugged that it wasn't in Nine Cents, but you know, whatever. You know, your whole world can't revolve around this stupid <laughs> <type of> show. <laughs> But
3: <laughs> well, I think I think one thing I put up there so far was a, a picture, and I think it was a picture of my cat or something. So I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like <laughs> that would be applicable to the podcast.
2: Yeah, well, you could describe it in ones and zeros <laughs> 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 until people piece it together as a cat. And um,
3: and, th- and thank you for remembering the address when I suddenly you know could not remember it mm-hmm. for the life of me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it is a mouthful. Drafts from a satanic windbag. Wordpress.com, but I will have it in the show notes for those who want to check it out.
3: And I apologize for not being able to come up with a better name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Well, while you were sitting in a blackout, I was hiking up uh, into the High uh to a hot spring, and I had this really weird experience, and, and um, do you have any tattoos at all? None. None? Okay, there's like this weird, <laughs> like you were swallowing right when you said none anything?
3: I was, in fact.
2: <laughs> Damn, I, near are so choked.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: nah! I uh, I do have, uh, I have a sigil of Baffin on my back, and I actually have the seal from uh, the original um, sort of mock... Novel of the Necronomicon that's on the front of uh, one of those, so I have that on my back, and then I have a Paul Booth skull on my um, back as well. So I I forget about these tattoos quite often. I don't know that it would matter if I didn't forget about them, but when you go somewhere up like the hot springs, it's it's implied that you have to you know strip down and get into the hot tub. I mean, or I'm sorry, this hot springs, and there are actually a ridiculous amount of other people up there as well. And I become wildly aware of not only my own imperfections whenever I get nearly naked, but also, you know, my tattooed, my ink, as soon as I start stripping down. And the first thing – I'm such a superficial individual. The first thing I do is I look around and say, okay, who here looks better than me? Boy and girl alike. And I feel pretty good because (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only only one other person looked better in my opinion. So I was like, and it was a girl. So I was like, okay, well that's fine. That's that's great. And she, you know, it was nice to look. So hey, what you can't? What what are you gonna do? It was really hot though. I I stripped down and I soothed. I, I eased. I should say myself into this ridiculously hot motherfucking water. And um, this is where I'm really happy that I have bad allergies because I couldn't smell the sulfur that normally is a, a horrible horrible scent. Um, and then I suddenly started noticing the talk. And so what I ended up sliding into was a hot spring full of Mormons from both Idaho and Alaska who all knew each other. And they were all talking about uh, their missions and other people in their um, collective friend family and having this really wonderful time chatting about it. And I'd never felt more out of place in my entire life and became super hypersensitive about my tattoos because what I find in life, and I'm sure you're the same way, is that we get looks. It may be something primal. It may be something that maybe they are not even aware of, or I'm just completely manufacturing in my mind. But people look at me, and it bothers me. Like, they... you You know, whenever you look at someone, you look at them and you get whatever impression your mind tells you and then you look away and you move about your day. I get repeat looks over and over again. So it tells me that either A, something is horribly wrong with me or B, something's wrong with them and they're trying to identify what it is that they're seeing, you know, as a reflection in me. And so I sort of live with this weird thing running in my head, this obsession of mine. Um... But then I became aware that these were all Mormons, and I have some very, as they would see it, occult or evil tattoos. And then I start feeling the judgment burning from them. And that literally, they're not saying anything. They're not even really looking at me for longer than seconds at a time. But it is repeated seconds at a time. And it got to this point where my children were with me and my wife was with me. and, And there's this judgment, like, this is someone with a satanic symbol on his back and he has kids. What is he doing to those kids? You know, I mean, because through their lens, I, I, I am all of those stereotypes we've been fighting for near 50 years. I am all of that bad thing that they've been talking. About. I'm that, that scary guy in the alley that is so untrue. But now they're projecting that not just on me, but on my kids. And then, and then my wife. And so it's, it's this weird moment of, of me fighting these, manufactured stereotypes projecting from their eyes that I'm the only one apparently seeing. It's it's weird. It's almost like I'm going fucking crazy, but I know that there's some truth to it. Um, so I stayed long enough to make them uncomfortable, but short enough for me to get the hell out of there and feel like I wasn't soiled by just breathing the same air that they're spewing out of their vile mouths. It was weird. Have you ever had anything like that?
3: Well, the thing is, I'm... There's nothing so obvious about my appearance that I couldn't pass for the most staunch Catholic on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I, in a pinch. You know, I, I And having been raised Catholic for a few years, like you were raised Mormon, weren't you? Mm. So, I mean, yeah, in a sure. pinch, if you had to, you could probably say the right words and pull it off. But um, because there's nothing so completely obvious about me and because people generally if there's that kind of confrontation they want to shy away from it therefore they will be willing to sort of you know ignore what they see or or think the best of me rather than confront anything that they don't want to think about so i actually never have to deal with that but it's i'm glad that you mention it because the, g- given the way that i live and the way i present myself it's easy for me to forget how much prejudice there is out in the world and it's easy for me to become a bit callous about it you know and you hear about this persecution of well say atheists in muslim countries for example
1: Mm
3: -hmm. and you know i mean that that kind of stuff could very easily start happening in the united states it really wouldn't take much for that kind of shit to start happening here and so evangelicals
2: just had their way
3: you know, it, well, evangelical Muslim Islam is the fastest growing religion in the United States. It wouldn't have to be Christianity. Yeah. But then again, you're you're in a a very Mormon area, and if they got a little bit more powerful, they might have done more than just look at you strangely for a couple of seconds. Yeah. You know. So just the fact that something like that's happening, you can't just ignore it and brush it off. It's like okay, we we really need to deal with this stuff, and and. I'm glad when I hear about somebody else, it's not that I'm glad it happened to you. I'm just, I'm glad for the reminders that it happens because it doesn't happen to me.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, and and here's the thing is, I guess, I guess maybe a takeaway. It forces you to start thinking in terms of what am I comfortable sharing? What am I comfortable projecting? I guess is more appropriate. And how do I want people to read me? Because, in my professional life, I would never, never, if, if I was at a, a swimming pool party with my coworkers, never take my shirt off uh, because I wouldn't want to project that image because I, I, I'm i very I'm very conservative with the way I, I present myself there. Um, and so it is interesting that, you know, we're forced and sometimes we forget, but every once in a while we're forced into these situations where we have to really take stock of what we want to keep private and how we want to present ourselves to the world. And then every once in a while, when we relax, we realize, wow, maybe I should think twice about taking my shirt off at this hot spring. Maybe I should think twice about I, I should just look a little more carefully about who's around and and use that to oh. our benefit rather than being caught unawares by it.
3: A, a brief incident like that is probably the best cure to solipsism there is.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how about we start the show? All right. Jesse!
3: What do you want?
2: Well, first, Jesse, I'd I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all.
3: Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better.
2: Now, look. I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them.
3: What do I look like, a belly dancer?
2: Oh, I... I assumed that was part... I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests that you may be used to dance.
3: Listen, the gin put me in the bottle, he forgot to add the preservatives. Now the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it, call the number on the bottle and complain. I want to talk to you today about performance reviews, the annual meeting with your boss where he tries to motivate you to work harder while giving you a tiny raise. At least that's how it usually works out. What brought this to mind was hearing some advice about how to document accomplishments throughout the year so that you could be prepared to toot your own horn when the time comes. It sounded all well and good as I was listening, but a couple minutes afterwards I thought to myself, wait, that's not right, that's not how this works. You see, the biggest myth about your performance review is the idea that this is the time to toot your own horn, impress your boss, and demand a raise. In fact, it's probably already too late for that. Let's try to look at the annual performance review from your boss's perspective. At the start of the year, your boss will be called into a meeting with his boss to go over salary budgets. He and I'm using he as a shortcut for he or she because the sex of your boss will not play a role in anything I'm saying in this episode. He will see a list of his direct reports in one column on a spreadsheet and their current salary in the next column and will mark an increase if there is to be one in a third before submitting the whole thing for approval. Note how already this is not about you. So how do these increases get decided? Well first and foremost, there's only so much money to give. It's a budget meeting. It's not a raise meeting. It's not a feel-good employee motivational meeting. It's a budget meeting. If your boss has 10 direct reports and wishes to give them all $5,000 each, but there's only 20000 in the budget, you don't all get your raises. Second, there's the ever-lowering caps, caps being the maximum your company will pay for any given job title. Say there are 10 widget repairmen working for your company. Someone, your boss, your boss's boss, or maybe somebody in Human Resources, will on any given year decide that whatever the highest paid of the 10 makes is the new upper limit on what the company will spend on widget repairmen. If you're the highest paid, you don't get a raise. If they really like you, you'll get a new title, more responsibilities, and then maybe a raise. Actually, a lot of minor reorganizations performed in companies are truly about salary or positioning someone to be let go because their job position will be eliminated. 10 Widget Repairmen, let's promote the best two to widget inspectors. Then in six months, we'll outsource repairs and reduce operational costs by eliminating eight positions. Or maybe they'll just promote the two most highly paid to inspectors, taking the third most highly paid and using his salary as the new cap on how much to pay widget repairmen. And then perhaps six months down the road, they'll eliminate the position of widget inspectors, thus keeping their cheapest eight laborers. Again, it isn't all about you and your job performance. Your boss may not give a damn about your performance and is instead trying to reduce operating costs. So we've got a limited budget, a push to cap raises by position, and now third, there's the maximum raise allowed company-wide. I mean, it's set company-wide, but there's always ways around it for the right people, which usually means executives and often means high bonuses in addition to a salary. Typically the maximum raise allowed is something like 3%. You can outperform every expectation your employer has and they still won't give you more than this. Your supervisor might want to, but he isn't allowed to. Fourth is the very stupid idea of minimum incentives. Bosses fear giving zero-dollar raises and telling employees that they aren't performing up to snuff. Bosses much prefer to give a 1% raise and tell employees that they need to work harder to get 2% or 3%. But these wasted 1% raises given to non-performers take away from performers. Fifth is the act of kindness raises. There might be colleagues working with you, particularly younger ones with less job experience, who are working hard and accomplishing more than most, but who were brought in at a much lower salary due to their age and experience. Your boss wants to do right by them, and can you blame him? So they get the max raise allowable without needing to be the best in the department. Perhaps this isn't an act of kindness so much as the realization that these youngsters could make more money anywhere else, and the cost of hiring and training a replacement makes it worth giving them 3%. Sixth on our long list of raise considerations is your actual job performance. Only after all these other factors are taken into account does your actual work ethic matter. But don't get too comfortable. We're not done yet. Seventh, comes your boss's sense of investment in you. Did he hire you? If so, great! If he hired you, he's got a prideful investment in seeing you succeed. If he inherited you from the last guy who managed the team, sucks for you. He has no investment in seeing you succeed. He may even see you as an obstacle to bringing in someone he'd rather have working for him. There are ways around this that we'll get to, but for right now, let's just sum things up. Your boss has a limited number of funds to distribute to his staff. Salary caps are constantly moving downwards. Maximum annual raises are low and slowly trending downwards. Funds are wasted to avoid confrontation with slackers. Cheap labor is in constant competition for what funds remained. And finally, performance is rewarded with what's left, but only if it doesn't interfere with the boss's ego. And all of this is decided and signed off on before your performance review is even scheduled. So are you going to go into your performance review with a documented list of accomplishments from the previous year and demand a raise? Good luck with that. You know what, though? I'm not going to advise against that. It may work. It certainly can't hurt. But my point in telling you all this wasn't to advise you against demanding raise. There's a different way of looking at this. Take everything I've said and see if you can find a way to use it to your advantage. First, budgets. There's only so much money to give. No getting around that, but if you are very, very clearly a top performer, it shouldn't matter. You may find yourself getting bonuses. You may find compensation coming in other ways, like getting on the best projects or being allowed to telecommute, maybe even getting comp time. I had one person ask me on Twitter, what do you do if you know you're worth more than what you're making? There are so many possible answers to this, but one to consider if budgetary constraints are the problem is negotiating an extra week of vacation time. Every job description has constantly lowering salary caps. Fine, you can work with that. Just do more than is asked of you and have your job title changed. It's not hard. The trick is to do more before it's asked of you and your coworkers. Stand out and you get the new title. When looking for something more to do, look for things your boss does himself and doesn't seem to like doing. Start with an offer to assist and quickly own the tasks. Your boss will be motivated to make time for you to do these things for him, and thus your other responsibilities will be handed off to your less ambitious coworkers. Soon enough you're not doing the same job they are, and a title change is appropriate. Until you reach the highest levels of the organization, there's no getting around the maximum allowed raise. But there are other perks you can attain, like the vacation time I mentioned earlier. But honestly, the best way to get more than a 3% increase, and this goes back to the question of what do you do when you earn less than you're worth, the best thing to do is probably to find another job. Say you make 40000 and you believe you're worth 60000 when you apply for a job and they ask you your salary requirements you lie and you say you're making 52 now and are looking for 55 to 60 don't do this unless you really are worth it what you say you are making has to be what the potential employer expects you to be making if you're really worth 60,000 and you tell them honestly that you're making 40 they may actually think they've misjudged your worth i want to say a bit more about job hopping before moving on to our list job hopping is You work one job for a short time, get a big raise to move to another job, get a big raise to move to another job, and so you keep changing jobs quickly to increase your salary quickly. Job hopping is the fastest way to increase your pay, but no employer wants to hire a job hopper. They lose money training you and they don't recuperate it until after you've become a productive member of the team. If you work at a company for five years, fine, that looks good. If you job hop to another company for six months and then attempt to job hop again, You'd better have a really good cover story as to why you didn't stay longer at the second company. The second company publicly announcing they'll be laying people off is the perfect cover for job hopping. The company closing down an office and thus lengthening your commute by making you work in another area, that might be another good cover story. The best covers for job hopping are the ones that make you appear to have wanted to stay longer at the second company, but due to circumstances beyond your control, you are forced to once again seek another job. Back to our list. The threat of minimum incentives is a tough one to get around. This is the one where the slackers get raises because management lacks backbone. Well a boss without a backbone isn't going to want to be confronted by you either, especially when you have a detailed list of accomplishments from the last year and are ready to toot your own horn. This is one place where that might make a difference. The problem is, you don't know if your raise was reduced because there wouldn't otherwise be enough funds to give some slacker a minimum increase. Maybe your raise was less than the maximum because your boss feels threatened by you. A list of accomplishments won't help you there. But this goes back to what I said earlier. Using the performance review as an opportunity to try to get a raise may mean you've waited too long. If your boss is spineless, make him fear the confrontation of giving you a lesser raise before he sits down with his boss to plan the budget. If he's threatened by you, become his trusted ally before that date. Charity raises may reduce your raise. I say fuck it, let him. If there's some poor sod working his ass off who got hired for 20k less than you, let him get the raise and suck it up. If you need a selfish reason to do this, fine, consider who you'll be stuck working with for the next few years. You want that poor sod who does his job, or you want to just have the slackers? If you want the poor sod, then let him have his raise, he deserves it. Not just that, help him. Train him to do his job better and sing his praises to your boss. You can't train a work ethic, so when you come across people who have a good work ethic, help them. They are the ones who can and will help you in return. When your actual job performance finally comes into the picture, it still isn't fair. Your boss can't possibly know what you do day in and day out. Here's where having a documented accomplishment list definitely matters. But you know what works better than sitting down once a year with a list of how wonderful you are? Getting other people to say nice things about you to your boss throughout the year. And what works almost as well as that, perhaps even better, is engaging a colleague in troubleshooting or innovation loudly and in front of your boss, but as if he wasn't there. Oh, hey there, boss, I didn't see you there. Yeah, you just caught Joe and I bringing our different skill sets to bear on a problem to see if we could create a more innovative business solution. No, don't say that. Say hi, boss, and go back to pretending he's not there. He may know you're sucking up, but if you're also improving business processes, he won't care. In fact, if you're doing it loudly enough and everyone else sees you, you're raising the bar for the whole department. Your boss will love you for this. Incidentally, do improve business processes. Seriously, do this. When you go on a job interview, you may be asked to describe the time that you've done it. The more times you actually improve business processes, the better you'll be at creating the perfect narrative for each interview. Last on our list is the boss's commitment to you. If he hired you, it's in his interest to see you succeed because that means he was a smart guy for hiring you. If he inherited you, you're at a disadvantage. You might be able to turn this around though. As soon as some guy that didn't hire you becomes your boss, seek additional responsibility with no rewards. Look for some upcoming project and request to take the lead on it. If he grants it, he's just invested in you and now he has skin in the game. If you can entice him to mentor you, so much the better. The more he can take pride in your work, the more he'll be looking out for you. As I've hopefully made it clear, documenting your contributions is not the end-all be-all of getting a raise. It's not even the start of it. Understanding how raises get determined may bring you future success. Even if you're making less than you're worth and therefore want a job hop, you can't change employers every year, so keep the rest of this in mind. It might help make the most of the next job you take before your next hop.
2: Here we go. What's we'll Uh, in full information.
1: You
2: This is ABC News. Weekend in Washington yields little on shutdown. And this is by Stephen... Oh, fuck's sake. What is it with people and their last names? Can't you have a Smith?
3: What's wrong with Smith? macker
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's bullshit! Like someone just bought a bunch of consonants. That, it was like... Hey, uh... You want to buy vowels? That's like 15 bucks more, but you just want consonants. Well, that's like five bucks total for a last name. I'll take the consonants. Thank you very much. I'm cheap. Fuck. All right. So it's Ola Mocker, I think, but it could be Ole Ole. It's like an English soccer <laughs> chant mocker. And Charles Babington, which is like a, a made up baby name. Like I'm Babbit Babby Bobby Babington. Like it's
1: not, it's
2: not a a grown man cannot proudly say, my name is Charles Babington. It's like a a bunny's fucking nickname.
3: Babbity uh, Rabbit. That's what I would yeah. call.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up. Hey, Chuck, Babby Rabbit. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was the Associated Press. How, I'm not getting. Far, I'm 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 drinking a little wine. If you couldn't tell. And uh, I'm a little uh, lubricated at the moment. <clears throat> House Speaker John Boehner, which, on, on a side note, I've had the hardest time teaching, training myself to say Boehner and not Boner.
3: Me too. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced it is boner. <laughs> it's
2: really Boner. And he just got a lot of shit in it at high school. So he's just tried to say, no, 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 it's not, it's not Boner. It's bo- b- Boehner. It's, it's Boehner. Um There's a really great uh, correspondence Dinner a few years back where Anthony Weiner said, John Boehner, um, come on. We both have penis last names. Let's stop kidding ourselves. (laughs) Like, it was something like that. I just thought it was amazing. Um, Anyway, sorry, Carlos Danger threw me for a loop. Um, John Boehner said Sunday, he sees no way out of the government shutdown unless President Barack Obama is willing to engage in negotiations with Republicans. And I have to stop after that first one sentence paragraph. Why is there negotiations? Whether you like it or not, it's a fucking law. You, it's your job. I, it, it doesn't matter if they passed a law to murder every baby in 2014. They passed the law, you have to follow through with it. That, otherwise, why pass any laws? Why don't we just debate everything in life? What? I don't want my money going to a senseless war in Iraq. Why did we do that? Why didn't I get a choice? Why do I have to spend my money on abortion clinics? Why don't I have a choice? It's not about your choice, people. And if you're in Congress, it's a fucking law. You, it's your job to pay for a law. I don't. How is this even a fucking question? What?
0: Ah.
3: So, Adam, do you have an opinion on this one?
0: But Treasury
2: Secretary Jacob Lew rejected that approach, saying Congress needs to quickly pass a legislation uh, reopening the government and also a measure boosting the nation's 16.7 trillion dollar debt limit. Lew said President Barack Obama has not changed his opposition to tying these measures. Um, I'm sorry, tying these measures to Republican demands on health care and spending cuts. What we've seen is, unless I get my way you know, that will bring these terrible consequences of a shutdown or default, Lou said Sunday on CBS. Those kinds of threats have to stop. uh, I gotta step back again because it's not only that they're saying them in in this fashion, um, but they're happy. This is what they want. They don't want government in your lives. And if they cannot legislate their way out of it, then they can pull little fucking tricks like this. This is why I hate... The Tea Party. I don't. I don't know politically how you stand on this, Jesse. Um, do you? Do you have an opinion?
3: I'm kind of sympathetic to the Tea Party, actually. <laughs> ah! how <is> this happening? <laughs> hey, wait! Why did the line just go dead?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. Her power must have gone out. No Wind must reason. have
3: blown while it was raining again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I. I have to hear this. Let me. Let me have it.
3: No, I it's I don't I'm not opposed to Obamacare. It's not what I consider the best plan, but I can see that given everything going on, it was probably the best that anybody could come up with at the time. So I'm not opposed to Obamacare. But at the same time, I am very much in favor of very small government and little taxes and getting rid of not just individual welfare but corporate welfare i'm a big fan of getting rid of corporate welfare i just don't want to be taxed so much i don't want government interfering with my life in any way that's that's what it really comes down to
2: do you see this as um this government shutdown particularly as a solution for that
3: no i think this is a blip on the radar I think we've got much bigger problems to deal with, and this is, if anything, just distracting us from them.
2: Um, My concern with this is not the concept that we need less government intrusion in our life. Um, I actually don't mind the taxes that I pay, even though I feel like I get raped every fucking year the more money I make. Um, I, I don't mind because I know that, at least in my local community, I'm seeing that uh there is repair in the roads and and I do get service when I need service and those uh those programs that I've come to trust are going to be there are there so I don't I don't particularly mind my tax rate even though it does kind of suck once a year what I mind is that whether you agree with the construction and the organization of our monetary system or not, we're going to default on the loans and the promises that we've made to other countries. And that means that we cannot be trusted as a country financially. And that means that our value, the value of our currency plummets even more. And if you've been paying attention in the last eight years at all, it's gone down dramatically. The last year, (laughs) literally last year when this happened, um, our credit rating was dropped a little bit. So it's it's not the political game that matters to me. It's the real world impact that matters to me uh, economically. And it doesn't seem to be a huge conversation.
3: Okay, well, I can appreciate that that's the concern. And that is, to my mind, the biggest concern out of the shutdown. But the thing is... In order to not default, we need to borrow more. So we're just getting further and further into debt. It's just snowballing. So it's not a question of if we're going to default. It's a question of when we're going to default. If not this year, what year? Just-
2: I guess it, it, it is an, an interesting note that um, do we continue with business as usual? Um, and what, what I find a lot in, in any – not just – Tea Party discussion, but just general conversations about budgets is that we always try to associate our lives with it. So we say, well, if I didn't live in a managed, balanced budget, then I would be, you know, going bankrupt and I would go to jail if I couldn't pay it or I would be destitute. So why should the government be able to do this? What we don't often take into account is that the only reason why... We exist as a country, and why any country can exist is because we have debt. We, if it wasn't for our ability to pay back debt, we would never be able to get loans. And this is something as a young man or woman we face in our world: is that how can we get credit if we don't have any credit? And so we have to sort of start with super micro level and build up it like either. Uh, department stores or gas cards or something like that in order to build our credit so we can then then be trusted to get larger loans and larger sums of money.
3: Okay, but it wasn't always that way. The thing is, selling a loan, that's, that's a bank's product. They sell you a loan. That is how they make money is by selling you a loan. And they've gotten very good at it where they've learned that okay, we can hold this credit rating over people's heads and therefore get them to buy our loans so that they can get a better credit rating. And in the meantime, we collect money on the interest. So this is really all about the banks controlling things. When you talk about having to have debt in order to have good credit, you're right, you do have to have debt in order to have good credit, but that is fucked up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it's, I, like to, I like to sort of look at it like if you were a gangster... And, and, and who I says I'm not? <laughs> I'm going to pretend for this analogy you're not. Um, if you were a gangster, uh, and I'm, I, I associate bankers with gangsters. I don't see really a difference in the mentality. If you're a gangster and you, and someone comes to you saying, hey, I, wa- I want money. And I, I want you to give me a ridiculous sum of money and I want to be able to pay it off at my leisure, they'd say, fuck you, get out. But if they say, I want money, and you say okay. But if you don't meet your payments on time, we are going to come after you with a baseball bat. Um, then they still take out that loan. Well, then of course you're going to you know suffer consequences. Um, with that in mind, I'm not sure where I'm going here with this. Uh, I understand that it hurts and it sucks, but in order to exist in the world that we've created. We have to borrow large sums of money to exist. We would like to think that we can somehow have this zero balance of debt as a country because we we sit here and think that, oh, well, we can absolutely bring in as much money as we're putting back out. But the reality is, is that we can't because we have a lot of programs that exist in our culture that we're used to that would never be funded otherwise. And... I understand that there are groups of people that thrive on the idea that there should be minimal government intrusion in, our, intrusion in our lives, but it is ironic that these same people that are saying that grew up with the intrusion intrinsically associated with them. So when you suddenly can't go into a World War II men, uh, memorial, and this has happened in the news because you shut the fucking country down, and then you sit here and throw your fists in the air saying, why are these closed? This is what happens when you don't have government in your life. You don't get national parks. You don't get people taking care of the things that you've come to just trust and expect to be there. A good example in my personal life and, and minuscule level is that I just recently went hiking, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and I went to Three Forks Trail up in the Uinta Mountains. It's a wonderful hot springs hike. I suggest anyone that's in the... uh, uh, Fuck, I can't remember the goddamn town. Um, Springville area, uh, canyon area, it's a wonderful hike to go there. But because the government shut down, little things like toilets that are at the base of the trail don't have any toilet paper. There's no one there to... Because everything's contracted, there's no one there to clean the toilets or to take care of the trail. And so it was in a state that I'd never seen it before. And it was uncomfortable and it sucked and I moved on with my life. It wasn't that big of a deal. But the point is, is that things you come to expect, the littlest things, like having toilet paper in a public bathroom, are gone because of this one shutdown. So it's easy to say, I want the government not involved in my life when it's comfortable But the second it becomes uncomfortable, we change our tune. And when we suddenly realize that those programs that we never thought about being associated with the government are affected, like WIC. My wife and my child were on WIC when I was in Arizona, right out of the military because I wasn't making enough money going to college and working at a fucking coffee shop in order to afford um, the nutritional food that my young mother and son needed at the time. And so little programs like that are gone right now. It,
3: well, it that makes you
2: suddenly think, well, how much government really
3: do I want? That's okay. Everything you say, I get and probably agree with. At least there wasn't anything glaring that I said. Oh, no, I don't agree with him on that. But consider this. When they did the government shutdown, somebody had to decide which programs were essential and which ones were not. They decided WIC was not, and NSA listening in on our phone calls was.
2: That's actually a really, really fucking good point. Um, and it, it's sort of I, – I, I listened to the Young Turks from time to time. Um, and there was, there was this wonderful video saying that, well, this is weak sauce. This is a weak sauce um, shutdown. If you really want to make a statement, if you really want to say the government shut down – then shut it the fuck down like completely. And what they're doing right now, the government is doing right now is exempting certain organizations so that you know, they can fly home for example, or our troops
1: will eventually
2: get paid or we can have people at the Pentagon or we can have people listening to our our phone calls in the name air quotes of national defense. It is it is interesting that we have these conversations uh, based on the political landscape because that has everything to do with it. Um, my idea of a government shutdown would literally be everything, but then I was the person shouting that we should never um, we should never prop up the banks that were failing or the insurance insurance agencies that were failing um, when we had our our last economic downfall. Um, I wanted it to hurt because the only way that you're going to learn from that hurt is if it really genuinely hurts, you know, I mean, the the best way I can describe knowing a shitty Christmas for basic example as a child is when we didn't have one because we didn't couldn't afford it. And our Christmas was literally sitting together uh, with fucking oatmeal at dinner and Talking like I was just being taught the Bible at that time, but we were we were talking about love as a family and it fucking sucked. You know, we're, we're in this super commercialized world and you expect things in it. And when they don't come because of some economic situation that you, is a reality for you, you have to deal with that. But it also leads you to appreciate what you have when you have it. So when I was out in the field uh, training for war in the military in the forests of Germany, when I came back home to my wife, I realized how special that was and how much I didn't want to fucking leave again, um, how, how much that meant to me. It, it's sort of that, that loss and that suffering that allows you to appreciate what you have that much more. Who is suffering in this? And it's not the people with fucking moderate income. It's people with no income that are suffering. And I'm not saying that they should somehow be propped up because of that. But collectively as a society, we have agreed, whether you personally agree with it or not, we have collectively agreed that we should help people. Um when they need help in the society and whether they're abusing it or not is a completely different discussion but we can't do that right now but all those people who are currently getting healthcare and trying to stop everyone else from getting healthcare and, and, and being able to fly their fucking planes home on special flights private jets aren't affected at all but mothers who are trying to get some fucking fresh fruit for their infants and for themselves are affected well we have a real genuine problem That's really what it comes down to because, and I don't want to pretend like I'm saying the Democrats are good and and the Republicans are bad because the Tea Party is separate from both of those. They've, They've sidled with the Republicans, but they're not the Republicans, but they are a corporate backed entity that is pretending it's grassroots, which is genuinely affecting the continuation of the world as we know it as Americans. And that I have a genuine problem with. I don't know if that's a statement or a comment or whatever it is, but mm. um, sorry, uh, I don't know. Should we even continue this article?
1: Is this, <laughs> is this played I out?
3: Think, I think we've kind of already talked about everything that's in it without actually. Yeah. And I don't think the shutdown is news to anybody. Hey guys, yeah, there's, no. there's a shutdown and people aren't cooperating yet, so there's no end in sight. End of it story. It's
2: Weird, like we we we've had. Hand literally a handful of shutdowns in the history of America um, for stuff like this, so we should be used to it. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. We shouldn't be so outraged. I mean, it's sort of a, a self-correcting course type deal where politically um, we will adjust as necessary, maybe even overcorrect, which is kind of a scary idea because um, I certainly don't want a pure democratic. Election next election, based on this alone, but I could totally see it happening um as sort of a reactionary thing depending on the the suffering of people um but i mean y i i'm I'm assuming you're not affected personally by this and and I can say other than not having toilet paper in a fucking public trailhead, I'm not affected by anything like this. Um, and I had baby wipes anyway, so it's a <laughs> necessary if you're ever going camping or hiking, just so you know. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, but I, I, I mean, to the point that I think you're making as Satanists, we recognize might is right is how the world works. And it's not always, you don't always want to see it work that way. Sometimes you wish that there was more kindness in the world, but simply that is how the world works. And in a case like this, the reason to have concern and the reason to want to work against it is not out of compassion for all the poor orphans of the world or whatever. It's because the lowest of the low in the United, if, if you're in the United States, if you're in another country, just you know substitute your country's name for the United States. The lowest of the low in your country, it drops the bottom of where you personally can fall to. And, it, it kind. I, I, I'm trying to like think of how to explain a visual I have in my head, where, you know, if you can Im- just imagine that the highest paid at the top of a bar graph and the lowest paid at the bottom, and as the bottom drops, the whole graph stretches out, and it kind of pulls down the middle with it. So I mean, people going from living on food stamps to not even being able to get food stamps pulls down the middle class to where our lifestyles, if you're in the middle class like me, to where our lifestyles are also going to be dropped down a little bit in compensation of this. So there is a very selfish reason to want to see something done to bring up the standard of living for everyone in the United States. And it's not a matter of giving charity to a bunch of druggies. It's really a matter of wanting to see the citizenship of the United States as a whole. I mean, there, there are going to be people who fall through the cracks and there always should be because it's probably their fault, but just to see the citizens, citizenry as a whole lifted back up to greatness. If that makes any sense. Brilliant. Man who sets himself on fire in mall dies. This is from the Washington post and it's by, Oh, it's another one of these names. (laughs) Max Aaron Fund javul. Oh man! <laughs> Javier Soto spent Friday with his camera, following the standard itinerary for to- for tourists in the nation's capital. While his wife was attending medical conference, he took pictures of the Smithsonian, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and then he went to see the Thomas Jefferson Memorial in the White House. Finally, he returned to the National Mall and just before 4.30 p.m. aimed his camera east toward the Capitol. That was the last stop I had planned, he said. As he was shooting, a man appeared in the center of his frame, standing near the 7th Street with his back to Soto. He poured gasoline all over his body from a canister, and before igniting the fuel with a lighter, gave the Capitol a crisp military salute. Soto's camera kept clicking as the flames engulfed the man's man's body and passers-by rushed to his aid. I just kept shooting, said Soto, 39 of Little Rock. I didn't know what to do in that moment. The entire sequence of events lasted about a minute, according to his camera's data. Once Soto realized what had happened, he joined the small group trying to help the man. They removed their, they removed their clothing and used it to try to smother the flames. <laughs> Presumably not all their clothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sorry. Uh- we need your panties, it! Get them on the fire! The man, still conscious when the emergency personnel arrived, thanked them for the help, according to accounts from the scene. Their efforts were in vain, though. A U.S. Park helicopter flew the man to MedStar Washington Hospital Center, where he died about 9 p.m. Friday, according to D.C. police. On Saturday, authorities still do not know what the man was, sorry, who the man was, or why he immolated himself. Because of the severity of his burns, medical personnel would have to try to identify him using DNA analysis and dental records, Officer Aras Alalai said. Aras. Muslim terrorist. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Al Akbar. No, that's. Not <laughs> This case remains active and ongoing, he said. The incident came on the heels of two other unsettling incidents in the area in the past month. The man lighted himself on fire just a few blocks from where federal agents killed Miriam Carey after a car chase from the wa- from the White House to the Capitol. And Washington Navy Yard, where Alec- Aaron Alexis shot and killed 12 people last month, is just over two miles away.
2: What's your take on that, on, on self-immolation?
3: Well... First off, I think dying for a cause is stupid. (laughs) There might be people I would die for, but I would never die for a cause. Secondly, if this guy died for a cause, he wins the Darwin Award because no one knows what the fucking cause was. He didn't (laughs) even have a sign next to him. I'm, I'm sure he had a piece of paper
2: in his pocket.
3: The government shut down. <laughs> I died to support Obamacare. I died to end cat juggling. Nobody knows what this guy died for. <laughs> hey,
0: and don't th-
2: joke about cat juggling, all right? That's a serious <laughs> problem.
3: I get, why? Nobody <laughs> knows. This guy died for nothing. So
2: dumb. So dumb. I agree with you. Darwin awards all the way. If you're gonna, if you're gonna off yourself in such in such a cinematic way, do yourself and everyone else a favor. And I mean, obviously, as human beings, you know, we we like consciously we need a reason for everything. There has to be a reason for everything happening. I mean, we created a god. Well, throughout our history, thousands of gods because of this basic need as human beings, this psychological need of ours but for the rest of us leave a fucking note off of your body when you like just walk by stop by an old lady and say hey or take this note and then walk away and burn yourself so that we can just at least have a little bit of a cathartic moment like oh well he had warm lunch meat in the morning that makes pure sense yeah no one wants warm lunch meat
3: i i tried to consider that maybe This was just a pure suicide and not a political statement, but not by those means. I mean, that's that's just so historically a political statement. I can't believe anyone would choose that as a means of just plain suicide. It had to have been a political statement, and there was no statement to go with it.
2: It was weird. I mean, just the idea of saluting. That's not enough. We need more than that. Like, I don't even understand what that means. You support the government's action in Syria? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that you you were raped by your drill sergeant? Like, I don't understand what that means. It could literally be anything. So don't do it. Leave a fucking note. Etch it on a chalkboard. I'm sure once they find out who this guy really is and they check out his personal home or residence or, I don't know, refrigerator box, they'll figure out why he did what he did i'm sure yeah, I mean, the, the type of person that does this certainly leaves more than you know a, a
3: random scrawled note if it if it turns out this guy was like schizophrenic then he has my sympathy you know maybe he thought things were going on that simply weren't going on and you know who knows yeah he may have he may have been severely mentally disabled and who knows but if this was meant to be a political protest he certainly left out one major step.
2: (laughs) Total fail. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wanted to include this, um, into the show because I wanted to talk about, um, I, I don't, I don't even really know. I mean, maybe I wanted to talk about the effectiveness of fighting for a cause that's unknown to anyone but yourself and then murdering yourself in that fight. I don't, like it's so it's such a foreign idea to a Satanist that you would give your life willingly for something that you wouldn't even say it is. Like you would well I just watched this show Um The Purge, uh which just came out and it was this sort of, you know, in the uh, spoiler alert, well, I guess it's not really a spoiler alert, plot summary. Um, in the future, the only way that America has redu- reduced dramatically reduced crime is by having one night where anarchy rules—12 hours of free for all. Murder is okay, and you're allowed to use any means as as horrible and as torturous as you want because it's it's a natural human emotion to lash out. And because of that, crime is down to one percent nationwide. And so it's sort of a sanctioned thing. Um, and so this, this, this sort of struggle in this show is. That there's uh, an obvious human need for something like this, but then an obvious human opposition to the fundamental idea of admitting that. Like, we're so much better than ourselves in that how barbaric could we do something like that? But then you can't argue with the, the statistics saying that we want something like that. Uh, that sort of argument that that Rome was so barbaric because they had the um, um, because Rome had the Colosseum and it was so bloody and how violent of a of a of a worldview they must have had. But then, I mean, we have a war every other fucking day it seems, and we have murdering children, whether they're innocents or termed enemy combatants uh, by a few men in suits or not. I, it, we're literally removed by like one step from violence every single day um and we pretend like we're somehow better so i understand the idea of violently lashing out i don't understand the idea of violently lashing out against yourself but if you are going to violently lash out yourself, with yourself then why the fuck are you leaving a goddamn note like i it doesn't make any goddamn sense so so little things like this sort of bring up that idea to me of martyrdom i, I just
3: unless I just, this was And and not talking schizophrenics or other people with, you know, who just don't know what's going on around them, but unless this was seriously somebody who had just lost all hope and this really was just a suicide. And actually, I mean, having read the two articles you sent and, you know, reading this one after the one before it, it kind of gets me thinking how bad would things have to get before I would be that desperate? You know, because you you might like to say, oh, I would never do this. I would never do that. But I tend to think that people are, are much more similar than we might want to think they are. And we're not so much terribly better than the worst among us. And maybe we shouldn't be so sure that we could never go there. So I tend to look at something like this and say to myself, okay, if this was martyrdom, if this was schizophrenia, if it was suicide, what would it take to put me in that guy's shoes? And what do I need to never get put those shoes on? What do I need to do so that I'm never in that place myself? You know what I mean?
2: I do. It's it's a very it's a very profound idea that is I think entertaining it um you have to do so in measure. Um, because we do live in a world that's so fucking hard and it, it it's so challenging at times and it's so meaningless at times. Um, you, you have to be able to uh, hold on to the ledge while you're taking the next step. Um, when I was in the military working on tanks, they would say it's three points of contact. Don't just walk off, you have to brace yourself in case so you have three points of contact your hands and your legs as you make the next reach um when you're entertaining a thought like this for me i always have to use three points of contact because i find myself i I have a history of uh mental illness in my family i have a history of personal depression i always have to go slow because i know i can fall easily and if I want to remain in control. In this life, it seems... And it can't just be for me, it is very easy to spiral. Awareness of it is essential, and so you can use those three points of contact. Um, but whenever I'm entertaining the idea of of connecting with someone, uh, in this case who immolating, immolated himself, or in other cases shooting themselves, I had a friend who did that in high school, uh, because it's so personal, I do have to be able to put my shoes in order to get through it of that person. And it's fucking hard. And you realize that, yeah, you you literally are maybe two steps away from doing that yourself. But I think as Satanists, it's important to to recognize that as hopeless as it can and will seem at times... We are the absolute person who is control of our emotions. We can make a conscious decision. It may not be easy, and quite often it's not. We 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 can choose to fight instead. To realize that life is shit sometimes, and it's your job to make it not shit. It's your job to fight. And to make your life worth living. Because the world doesn't owe you anything. Society doesn't owe you anything. That's a choice you make. You get to say, I am going to feel good because of my own successes. And I'm going to stand on top. I am not going to be that person who emulates himself. So we certainly can. I, I absolutely agree with you. We certainly can identify um, with the core of of hopelessness which drives people. Of despair that drives people to these actions. But the difference I think is that in in identifying yourself as a Satanist we're given tools to take control. We're given awareness that it's not some invisible man's will that we're in suffering. That the world is suffering and we have to make it our own heaven. And that we can. Like we literally can. We can make it as good or as bad as we want it to be. So yeah. I always need three point. And long answer. Short. Fucking too late. Um, I can identify. I choose not to jump into those. Um, emotional connections. Without bracing myself first. Because it's too easy. To slide into that mentality. And, and I know too much. And I've fought too long. To do that. You know what I mean?
3: I do, and I, for one, am glad you made that short story long, because I think your long form was poetic. Oh, thank you. Mm. Uh,
2: Let's go on to a little excitement here. Old Nick Peep Show. All right. thank you for joining me on the first of many, I hope, uh, segments with Old Nick Magazine. I'm being joined by Witch Marilyn Mansfield and Warlock Mog. They're two individuals who are heavy, uh, just steeped (laughs) in Old Nick, Uh, not only with uh, obviously promoting it because it's a worthwhile magazine to promote, but they're actually involved in putting out issues uh, on a regular basis. So you have them to thank for uh, a lot of that. Now, we're going to get into it Uh, pretty heavy here in a minute, but this is a segment that I I think is going to be worthwhile for everyone. Um, Certainly, especially, and most importantly, you, the audience, so that you uh, just know a little bit more about this Uh, magazine that I think is worth knowing about. Um, Old Nick magazine has some amazing content in many, many issues that are out already, and I've talked about them quite a bit in the past, and so it's exciting to have Old Nick here to talk about themself. Uh, Thank you both for joining me. How are you?
4: Hey, Adam. How are you? Thank you for having us. Yes, we are doing well. Hi.
2: Great. So, uh, Old Nick Magazine, can you tell us a little bit about uh the history of this?
4: Sure. Well, um, Old Nick Magazine was started by Magister um Bob Johnson and the premiere issue came out uh six six oh six and um you know, it took off right away. I mean it's it's you know, it's kind of like a um Playboy with horns. It's also <laughs> described as, you know. Um and it it's just you know um it's a great magazine that has you know uh obviously uh sexy uh nude women <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
4: um and great content as well you know like um music reviews and articles and um you know just things that are of interest of you know not only gentlemen but women as well i happen to love the magazine and um you know, I, when I went out to um, Hollywood in '09 to help uh, Bob promote it, you know, I really um, got involved at that point And I got to model for the magazine, which was, you know, a dream come true. And, um, you know, so I've been involved uh, helping out with the promoting and, you know, uh, getting ad space and that sort of thing. And then, um, Zoff came on aboard and now he is the senior editor. So, nice. you know, it's something that we both believe in. Uh, the project, you know, that we stand behind 100%. And we're, you know, happy and proud to be part of Old Nick. It's a great thing.
1: Yeah. And it's
4: expanding every day. So, you know, um, there's so much more now, you know, available, um, you know, with the internet and everything. So it's so much, it's, it's becoming, much more than you know a magazine it's merchandise there's uh video clips now you know um just so much going on i'll let uh give you a little info yeah okay. old nick magazine is not just a magazine anymore we have
0: our fans and everything and anything um there's you know we have a store now where you can buy old nick uh official old nick merchandise like you know t-shirts and sweaters button shirts sexy panties um you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah uh we're all over social media you know facebook twitter all of that um we also have uh you know the we have our cam girl site up which is something you know uh for certain people to look into you know it's on the cam4u, uh dot com site
1: nice we also
0: have um Old Nick Magazine now features a digital XXX, um, version of the magazine, which has, uh, video content, as Marilyn mentioned before. You know, we have all of our, uh, back issues available on the, um, Skin Mag site, the XXX site. Um, what else can we talk about there?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, this- basically,
0: and you know, all the issues, of course, are available on the MagCloud.com site. You can get all of the current issues and back issues available there.
4: Yeah, and and the great thing is is that they're available now in both digital and print. So, you know, for someone like me, I like the print, you know, I like to have the print issues in hand because I just, you know, I'm a collector of many things and, um, you know, the print issues are really wonderful. You know, um, you can get them in digital format as well and just download them, which is also a great thing you know and um the great thing is you can, if you miss an issue it's always available mm-hmm. so you know you can go to magcloud and order any issues you are missing and you know um any new issues whatever you like basically so it's really you know it's really expanding and it's really a great thing and you know a lot of people really really enjoy the magazine um especially, you know, Satanists. <laughs> yeah. Me and Doth, um Bob and I have done many events promoting Old Nick um, all over New York City, you know, and when people, you know, even if they never heard of Old Nick and they discover it for the first time, they're so impressed with the magazine, you know. It's really um something that really, you know, people find appealing because it is like... It, it it is a, a a quality, you know, as as Playboy, but it has mm-hmm. that dark bend to it, which um not a lot of magazines, you know, have. So it's something that's enjoyable for many reasons.
2: Yeah. And I gotta say, I mean I was just to speak to what you were saying about all the, the back issues being available digitally. And and you may even be able to have them printed up through the mag cloud. Um, That was important for me when I first uh, interviewed uh, Magister Johnson, I, I I wasn't very familiar with old Nick uh, as you know, with anything that that's sort of underground uh, like old Nick magazine sort of is, you know, coming less so nowadays, but uh, not a lot of people know about it. And so you want to be able to sort of look at those back issues to learn a little bit more and to find that amazing content that you thought was would just be lost to time. It is available nowadays, and so I have become a collector myself. And what I like <laughs> a lot about that is that, if you just want it digitally, you can get it digitally. If you want it print, you can get a print, but you could also get both. And, and, and that's really cool. I mean, I don't, I don't see that a lot nowadays where it, it mixes the, the uh, digital and the, the print versions together. I think it's fantastic. Um, did, oh yeah.
4: I mean, you know, some people just love everything on the computer and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. That's why having both options are great. You know, um, I mean, we have them, dis- we have the print issues like displayed in, uh, uh, our, our curio cabinet over <laughs> be here because, yeah. you know, Um Well, for us, they're more like collector's items. Right. And I right. think
0: as people become more digitized, as technology becomes more digital, the print issues are going to become more like collector's items. Right. So I think, you know, in that aspect, it's great to actually have the ability to go back and get the back issues because, you know, as most collective items, uh, you know, go, they will be worth more money in the future.
1: Absolutely.
4: When the when the premiere issue came out um, in 06, that was only a print issue. And um, I don't, I wasn't available, right, on, on digital format back
0: then. You know, back then, right. there, a lot of work has been put into digitizing all these issues. Yeah, I mean,
4: we're in a digital age, so, you know, it's really great. And, and for old Nick to have... Um, you know, embarked on that whole digital um, era, if you will. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: (laughs) I I think it's really great, and it's really been, I mean, you know, with the Internet and everything, so many people discover Old Nick, and they really enjoy the magazine. I mean, I get, you know, emails just about every day asking about the magazine, you know, and um, people wanting back issues and things like that, and, you know, they, they just think it's great. So... I mean, it's, it's, and it's not just the nudie girls, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, so much that's a great part
0: of the magazine, but there's a lot of other things that, that, um the satanic gentleman or the satanic female would enjoy. You know, we, we speak about cigars and drinks and books and movies and music and, you know, artwork and there's all kinds of different things that are in an issue of Old Mac Magazine that really captivates the reader. And I think that's what is really, you know, pulling people in. And once they discover it, they become immediate fans of it. Wow. Yeah,
2: what, one thing that struck me, and, and please take this in the spirit in which it's intended, whenever you hear about something that you were not previously aware of, there's a little bit of skepticism involved. So when you hear, oh, well, there's this really fantastic gentleman's magazine called Old Nick, and it's sort of the... um darker side of a Playboy-styled gentleman's magazine. I I did not... Ex- I mean, you see a lot of, you know, zines that people put out. They're not quite magazines. They're just sort of newsletter-ish formats, and you don't know if quality is going to be up to snuff. When I saw the first issue of Old Nick Magazine, I was amazed because I couldn't believe I hadn't heard of it before. It's absolutely a a high quality publication. And this is coming from someone who works in advertising industry. I mean, it's, there's care taken into its presentation. It it doesn't look like a hustler or uh, some kid in a basement putting together his, his favorite nudie girls magazine. I mean, this is, this is a (laughs) real high quality gentleman's magazine and the, the print versions, when you get them, they're their quality and and substantial in your hands. It's, it's very nice to be able to see that, um, that, that amount of work go into something that for, for many of us is, is really, it's a passion of ours. We, We want to know about the darker side of things and sexuality is a part of that.
4: Right. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that was my first impression as well, you know, um, uh, Bob does a, an amazing job, you know, um, doing the layouts of the magazine and the content and even, you know, everything down to the, you know, um, I mean, he really does put so much work and effort into this magazine. That's what makes it so great. And that's what makes us so, you know, proud to be, you know, a part of it because mm-hmm. it is something like, you know, that old that old joke, like, oh, I got it for the articles. This magazine, you really do want to read the article. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's just such a it. It's so jam packed with you know things that are are of interest to so many people, and the photos are just always wonderful. You know, the girls are always beautiful to look at, and every like you said, everything is just so high quality that um, it, it's you, you can't not like it.
1: Mm-hmm. So. <laughs>
0: Well,
4: it, it's made by Satan. for Satan. Wow, there you go. I mean, but every time we go out, like I mean, we usually uh, have more to do fetish events, and the Goth events, you know, things like that. And you know, just I mean, people just love it. I mean, because it's you know, the girls are dressed kind of, you know, some of them are dressed kind of Goth. There's like maybe like um, a pinup girl in there. There's something for everyone's taste, mm-hmm. you know, which which I like how how um, Bob keeps that. You know, he, he really does uh, do a lot of variety with the the articles, the music, and the, the uh, models. You mm-hmm. know, so everyone does get a little taste of what, what is their, their, you know, interest or liking. So it, it's he does put a lot of work into it and, you know, does, does a lot of work with the editing and things. And he writes the music reviews, you know. Um, so a lot of work does go in and people contributing. People are always happy to contribute, you know, and things like that.
2: And it's just something that you know is is um, just great all around. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned that Old Nick magazine started as as just the magazine, and and I don't know if if the brand itself, Old Nick, ha, has grown beyond uh, just using the the magazine uh, descriptor. But it it is interesting to be able to see a brand start uh, as, as something of quality and of substance and and have people respond well to it, but then that you are willing to grow that brand. I Just being in the advertising industry myself, it's, it's always nice to be able to see and it adds equity to the brand. So you had already mentioned that you have obviously the digital and the print and now you have merchandise and you actually have um, a website where you can have um, – uh, video uh, feeds of women on the website as well what else is there anything that you guys are pl- have in the planning stages um, coming down the road for old Nick
0: um, I think what we're working on in the near future is to continue using the, the digital realm that is available to us you know we're trying to integrate more video content into the magazine content mm-hmm. as you get with the, um, the skin mags edition the triple x edition you know we're also trying to always incorporate you know whatever the latest technologies is out there. You know we've been experimenting with certain uh, new features. nothing that I want to divulge just yet because it's in yeah, yeah. the experimental stages. but you know, you know we're trying to incorporate more of the the digital aspect of of old Nick because you know uh, we don't want to get left behind. We don't want to be an exclusive print only company who, like so many other, uh, print companies out there are slowly, you know, being faded away by the digital media. So we're trying to, you know, always stay one step ahead of the game and, and keep up with the technologies available to us.
1: Nice.
2: Well, I mean, you did just sort of just briefly mention that the Skin Mag's version. So I, I guess it should be explained that traditionally, Old Magazine was more conservative in its pinups ups and in its just it's, its projection of women. Correct. I mean, you just recently. Uh, offered the triple X versions.
4: Yeah, I mean, yes. The triple X version has recently been uh, a new feature. The magazine has always uh, maintained a level of, um, you know, it was a bit conservative when it came to nudity and so forth. But again, the times are changing now, you know, and... um, People want more content. They want a a certain uh,
0: degree of intensity with the images that they look at. Wow. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, a lot of the people that have been involved in the layouts in Old Nick are people who are, you know, adult entertainers. Wow. So they are more than willing to provide us with triple X content, you know, exclusive to Old Nick and why not use that? You know, if that's what people want to see and that's what sells issues, then we're going to give it to you. Yeah.
4: I mean, a lot of the girls are well known uh, already, so if they have a fan base or what have you, I mean, some people just buy the magazine and, and that's that's enough, you know. And, and um, but some people want a little more. They might like a particular model, and if that model is on, you know, in, you know, on the X the uh, X rated version, then they have the option to, um, you know, look into that, yeah. yeah. But, you, you know, it's not something you have to do, but the option is there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the times are, you know, this is the uh, time that we're in, and... Um
0: and that's just a, a perfect example of how we are utilizing the technology available to us. Let's say you pick up an issue of Old Mac Magazine and you're, you're checking, you know, you have the mag Clouds print edition and you're looking at it and you really are intrigued by a certain... Uh, layout of a girl and you know you want to know more you want to see more of her then you could go to the skin mags edition and you know to your delight you may find that there's a video feed that goes along with this and you can actually see part of her you know adult films and then from there you may go on and and become a big fan of hers and you know it it could all start from old nick so you know that's how
4: everything links together and it you know you know one hand washes the other yeah you know one great thing about old Nick as well is that uh you know most of the um photos and things are exclusive, so you know bob, bob is great with that that um you know he, he has a lot of exclusive uh photos material and and so forth, and so you know what you're seeing in old Nick is you know with old Nick and <laughs> you know you can't really find it anywhere else uh-huh. um so that's another great aspect of the magazine. You know, there could be pictures. You know, I mean, I've done so many modeling things or whatever, and the pictures are scattered all over the place. But I have pictures that have, you know, the shoot has been for Old Nick, and they have not been seen anywhere else. My um, Jane tribute um, set was exclusive. All my, all the pictures for that I've done at Old Nick have been exclusive to Old Nick. So, yes. you know, I mean. And it's great because people say, Oh, I wanna see, you know, your Jane Tribute to you well, you, you know, you gotta to go to the site and check it out. Yeah. So and then they're like, Oh, this magazine is great. So I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, um it like you said, it is a very high quality production and you know, a lot of uh effort and, and work and time goes into it. So yeah. we're proud to be, you know, part of it.
2: Well, it is it is really amazing that you You listen to your audience and you respond in uh, the direction that they want you to go into. That's, I think, rare for a lot of brands that they want to maintain what they think, uh, you know, within themselves is the most important. And and what you're saying is we're going to maintain that and we're going to keep that standard. But we're also going to allow you to experience Old Nick in the way that you want to experience it. And I I wish more brands would do that. Um, So hats off to you both. Where can people go to find uh, a little bit more about Old Nick
1: online?
4: Well, obviously, the the website is the best place to visit. So it's Mm -hmm. oldnickmagazine.com. I do a – I'm the first ever Old Nick Chick. So I have a Twitter. um, It's at Old Nick Chick. And I do a lot of updates and things, run ad specials from there. Also, we have the Facebook page, um, which is Old Nick Magazine fan page. And then we have, uh, Nicholas Olden, which is a regular, um, Facebook page. Um, Zoss is always looking for new music to review. Yeah, you can always, you know,
0: contact me on my Facebook page if you want to submit, um, music, uh, for, you know, possible reviews within the magazine. You know, there's also, you can write to it though at com if you're a model out there and you want to submit photos or if you're a published book author and you would like your book to be reviewed in the magazine or you're an artist. You know, anyone who is willing to contribute, who would like to contribute to the magazine, can always write to us. And, you know, it'll obviously go through the, you know, the process. You know, where not everything's going to be accepted, so we have to maintain standards, but, you know, yeah. all, all newcomers are welcome to
1: submit, obviously,
2: yes. Nice. All right, well, how about we, you know, what What do you have coming for this next issue?
4: Well, um, the upcoming issue is the hot and horny Halloween issue. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which we have a lot of, uh, you know, of course, a lot of wonderful things happening with that, uh, besides the... Uh, Something uh new to naughty girls. We have a lot more going on. I'll let us get into it. Um right. yeah, this this new issue will be out probably late October,
0: right around Halloween time. You know, we're gonna have um exclusive never be seen never before seen photos with uh witch Marlena D. She's doing a, a Halloween witch layout, it's really nice. nice. Um, we're gonna have um We're going to have an article from Reverend uh, Gavin um review of the rock band Hell. There's also, you know, we have the Night Gallery where we offer artwork. Uh, This issue is going to have the artwork from Tony Um We also will be looking at the art of Edinburgh, Scotland. And we will have book reviews from True Crime Detective magazine, some Tashkin books. My music reviews will be in there. And then, of course, we have all the beautiful, lovely girls of Old Nick Magazine.
2: Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And if you're paying attention to Old Nick Magazine in the social networking sides, then they will announce when these issues are available. Or you can always just check oldnickmagazine.com for the new issue link there. Uh, Well, both of you, thank you so much. And I cannot wait for uh, the next time we can talk uh, to continue uh, this amazing discussion
4: yes thank you adam thank you so much yes thank you for
0: having us and we're also eagerly awaiting our next conversation about what is new and old nick
4: mechapine yes
2: (laughs) (laughs) until then hail satan
4: okay Hail hail satan hail satan
2: And that's gonna do it for another show. i hope you enjoyed it. i would love to hear from you and i know jesse would as well before we continue where can people find you online jesse
3: i'm on twitter i'm at damn lucky d a m n e yeah i can spell tonight too d a m n e d l u c k y and my blog is at drafts from a satanic windbag at wordpress.com i think spelled
2: as it sounds
3: yes <laughs>
2: uh, let her know let her know what you think if if you like what she's saying uh, if you don't like what she's saying if you agree with her if you don't agree with her it's important the only way that we can provide uh, commentary of value is if you let us know and we welcome it we welcome Challenging ideas, and it's it's healthy, and it obviously perpetuates this show, so um, shoot me an email at info9centspodcast.com, at and if you send me something specifically, as you have in the past, for Jesse, I will forward it on. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satan Net Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents, and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9CentsPodcast.com. We're also on Last FM, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. Important here, people. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, and you should, visit ChurchofSatan.com. And... The only way that this podcast is going to continue is if you tell someone. You share it. I know you have been, and I truly do appreciate that. Let's keep going. And if you haven't shared it with anyone, ask yourself why. Is this a embarrassing vice of yours? Am, am I like the, the Spice Girls of music for you? You don't want to share that you like it? Other people will appreciate it. Let someone know about it. Share nine cents. Let's build this podcast together. And once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... (laughs) Jesse. And until next week, Hail
1: Satan.
3: Hail Satan.